0: It's not magic. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to go do a wealth screen. I'm going to go do some donor research and I'm going to find magic new money out there.
1: Welcome to episode five of the Center for Generosity podcast. I'm Mitzi Schaefer, a consultant with GSB Fundraising and your host for today's episode. On each episode, we work to equip generosity leaders by tackling a single topic related to growing generosity. Together, we answer the three most critical questions for success. And we're nearing the end of our six-week series, this first series, on how nonprofit leaders can be donor-first. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Evan Moylan, a GSB consultant. Um, here to talk about a pretty interesting topic and not one that quite frankly, I know um, a whole whole lot about, and that is wealth screening. So welcome, Evan, we're so glad to have you.
0: Great to be mit- uh, with you, Mitzi. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, so friends, let me tell you a little bit about Evan. Um, Evan brings energy and innovative thinking based on over 18 years of executive leadership and board service. nonprofits. His professional service includes large social service agencies, foundations, global relief agencies, and synodically-based ministries. And for our non-ELCA friends, uh, Lutheran Church friends out there listening, um, Synodical is the larger church body um, division for the Lutheran Church. Evan brings expertise in strategic planning, fundraising, governance, marketing, and organizational growth. And he's done it all firsthand. And so he's really great at helping coach others in those areas. Holding um, a CFRE certification, he has an undergraduate degree from Arizona State University and a graduate certificate from the University of Texas in nonprofit management. Evan, we are so um, pleased to have you here talking about wealth screening today. And um, as we promise um, our folks on this podcast, we get right straight to the meat of what it is that they're here for. And so I want to get started with our first question. Are you ready? Let's go. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so a lot of organizations out there have heard about researching donor prospects, but don't know why they should or where to get started um, with that. So help us out. Where do we get started?
0: So I think it comes down to the theme of your six-week podcast, Donor First. When we're putting the donor first, it's about having a deeper relationship with the donor and understanding the donor's passions because gifts happen, generosity happens when opportunity meets passion. When when my opportunity to make a difference in the world as an organization meets the passion of where a donor wants to see impact made in the world, that's where we see gifts happen. And so donor research is about deepening your relationships with donors because everything is about relationship. And no matter, if you're a, a, a very small organization, a camp and retreat center, out there with a couple hundred people in your database, or if you're a giant social service agency with 10,000 people in your database, or a university with 100,000 people in your database, you simply can't know everybody at the personal level that's required to have a relationship with them, um, everybody that's in your database. And so donor research uh, allows us to do that. It's not magic. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to go do a wealth screen. I'm going to go do some donor research and I'm going to find magic new money out there. It's not about magic new money. In fact, the best place to start is with those who already care about you and already give to you, those people who are already in your database. Because most likely in the research that you do with that group, whether it's a bulk screening of your whole CRM file, or whether it's an individual deep dive look into a donor uh, that you're wanting to learn more about, you will find people in those that already care about you, who have the capacity and who have the interest and have the inclination to make a much higher impact into the mission of your organization along the way so so the first step really is starting inside the organization uh, and inside the list of people that you already have uh, in that world and, and we're looking at a number of things you know it's not just about capacity it's about ability charitability interest all those things that tie a donor to our organization's and wanting to know donors, and meet them where they are.
1: Evan, thanks for that. I actually really appreciate that it's grounded in being donor first. Um, It's grounded in helping deepen passions, and have people more connected to our organizations, because that really is what we're about, Um, and that really is, quite frankly, just what's successful (laughs) um, when we um, honor our donors, and care about them in the same ways.
0: Yeah, you know, you one of the things that that keeps a, a a development officer or a gift officer or an executive director, whoever it may be, from making contact with a donor, right, is that uncertainty about what do I talk to them about or that uncertainty about uh, do I really have a reason to call them for something other than when I'm just asking for a gift. This kind of depth of relationship that can come from donor research allows you to have a purpose to really have a meaningful relationship with somebody and let them know that you saw something that's in their passions or their interests come up in the news or let somebody know um, that you're thinking about them at a time other than when you have a need.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I've sat across from a lot of development folks working through their plan who's who are development folks, but they also struggle to pick up that phone. Um, And if this is the thing that can give them that 10 seconds of courage to pick up that phone. How great is that? Right. I mean, yeah. that in itself is a reason to do it. Okay. So I actually, um, I, I want to back up just for a second and I want to ask you a different kind of question. Um, so if you've not ever thought about donor research, if you don't understand the concept of it and how it works and what kind of information is out there to find um, it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around what that looks like. And so there are, you know, there's bulk screening and deep dive research and relationship research. Can you talk us through like, what does that look like visually? What does that mean?
0: Absolutely. So when we think about research at, at its essence, we're thinking about learning more about a donor so that we can have a deeper relationship with them. But obviously, uh, there are different levels at which we have to do that in order to uh, be successful. And there's a different amount of time uh, that's required for what you're going to do. If you're going to go visit a major donor or prospective major donor next week and, and you want to be prepared for that visit, you might want to do some deep dive research. That deep dive research can be done as simply as being on Google and and, digging through the internet to find information about that person. Uh, It may also be done through a a system. Uh, GSB uses uh, a proprietary system that gives us access to 19 databases across the internet and correlates them all into one space where we can pull all of that information together and, and allows us to create a, a prospectus on an individual donor that, that tells us a, a, a great deal of information and maybe we can come back to everything we can learn in just a moment. Um, but that takes a lot of time, um, even if we're doing it, uh, you know, especially if you're doing it one-on-one in Google, uh, but even if you're doing it in a system like ours, it's, it, it's time consuming to do that for each donor. So sometimes when we're doing something or sometimes when we're trying to determine something in our annual fund like direct mail and how we might segment um, our direct mail work and how we might pull um, new donors out of our file that we can uh, move more deeply with uh, in our moves management, We want to do that at a wider level, so we'll do a bulk screen where we export the needed information out of our, our, you know, constituent relationship management tool, our CRM, and we we export that into a file that we run all at once through the bulk screening uh, system and get a a score uh, for each individual, as well as lots of other information, and then we can take all that information and we can upload it back into your CRM afterwards, uh, into custom fields that we create or into uh, fields that are already there for you. And you can choose kind of how much information you have and how much you upload in. But that that allows us to see the breadth of people. And it also categorizes folks and helps you prioritize. One of the things that I love about a bold screening is that You know, gift officers are always trying to maintain their portfolio, right? And the size of your portfolio varies. But in a lot of cases, for most organizations, I like to see a portfolio that has about 25% uh, at a a solicitation mode at any given time, and 50% of the portfolio is in a cultivation mode at any given time, and 25% is in a prospecting mode or an identification mode. But where does that 25% come from? When we run a bulk screen, we'll get markers on your files that'll show us, hey, these folks might be good people to put into that identification group. And that way we're able to then work on identifying, prospecting, see if they're, they're really a good fit for a you know, a major gift portfolio or a executive director's portfolio. And then we move them uh, up into the portfolio or we move them out and bring the next one in. But just looking at your database and saying who should I put in there is really difficult. The bulk screen lets us use the data that we have um, to, you know, make some informed decisions about about how we do that. You know, it, we also mentioned about relationship research. It's it, it's really interesting and to um, the people that love you the most, love your organization the most, or also the people that know the other people that love your organization the most or love your issue the most. And so one of the relationship research questions that should always be on the lips of every person who's doing development work is, who else should we be talking to about this list? Or who else do you know that might be passionate about this? And of course, those questions you know, come at the right moment and the right time. And there's an art to delivering them, but, but building, um, building prospects out of relationship is a critical part of any fundraising effort.
1: Yeah. And a couple of things stand out for me there. One is, um, and, and I don't, as you were talking, the word confidence kept coming to mind. So it, it's almost like a confidence builder, um, for the folks who are trying to decide the list. And, you know, I've sat on the institutional side of the bulk list that you're describing um, and had those numbers and have been able to lay that next to my own impressions. But as a, new, as a new development officer coming into that particular organization, having that was a confidence booster for me. It actually helped me say, Hey, I, I feel good about my gut reaction on prioritizing some people here. And it was very affirming.
0: And you're saying something that's really important, which is your, your, your gut reaction or your anecdotal knowledge or your personal knowledge of the donor. It's really critical to recognize that any research that you do is just one lens, it's not a magic button. It doesn't tell us that somebody's going to give to the organization tomorrow. It gives us information that allows us to join that information with our anecdotal and get past our implied realities and get to our reality of what might really be possible and look through there. So, you know, we never want to trust this as as magic again. We want to trust it as a lens that we're looking through um, because it can only tell us what's available. And there's lots of factors that can marginalize the efficacy of research. But those factors don't mean, uh, or, or the fact that, that research can sometimes be wrong doesn't mean don't do it. Um, right. the, the benefits far outweigh the potential negatives, but we do have to be aware of the fact that there's, there's lots of mitigating factors. For instance, um, people who um, uh, make charitable gifts through certain vehicles um, that aren't as publicly uh, trackable as other vehicles makes it hard to know where they are. Um, people who hold their wealth in certain ways um, make capacity hard to determine sometimes. A big one is people who give to religious organizations. Most religious-affiliated organizations, um, in the at least in the mainline uh, Protestant world, don't file an independent 990. Most of them file up through their national church bodies. And because of that, the giving that that donor's doing, and, and by the way, it's the largest segment of giving in the United States. About 27% of all giving in the United States is going directly to uh, congregations and religious based charities, uh, followed shortly after by education. So um, it's a large pool of the giving. And because they're not being tracked up in that way, um, it's often hard to see what propensity and inclination can look like because that information is just not available.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I appreciate that. Um, Okay. So besides, um, besides capacity, what what else can we learn from donor research?
0: Yeah. So capacity is what everybody wants to know, right? Like right. how much can this person give? How, you know, how much should they be giving? Which is a horrible question and should never be asked that way. Yeah. Um, and different systems will screen in different ways and show you capacity at, at um, a different year level. Usually it's at a three or five year level, depending on the research tool that you're using. That um, they'll show you what the, what the estimated capacity is. Remember that that's a, that's a perfect world scenario. So that doesn't that doesn't take into account that, um, you know, Bob and Jess are contemplating a divorce or that Sue just got ill or that Sue just got a promotion or that Sue's kids just went to college, whatever that might be. And so because of that, um, that capacity is there. It's an important piece of information, but it's only one thing that gets us excited about research. We can find so much else out. Um, we can find out whether um, they have business holdings, both public and private. Are they an SEC insider? Uh, what properties do they own and how much debt is on those properties? We can find out uh, if they sit on the board of directors for uh, public nonprofit or excuse me, for nonprofit organizations or for public. Um, Uh, public uh, for-profit organizations or privately held uh, for-profit organizations, we can see what boards they sit on and thereby through relationship science, we can see who else they're interacting with. So, you know, you're, you're thinking through your seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? And how am I going to get to Mitzi Schaefer uh, who I want to talk to about this opportunity to give? Well, how do I get to Mitzi? Well, look, Mitzi sits on the board with Joe and oh, I know Joe, right? And so Joe might be my insight to get to Mitzi in the relationship science. We can see a donor's age uh, for many donors uh, yeah, through a, a, a you know good uh, screening process. Uh, we can see things like the commonality of their name to ensure that we don't, um, uh, you know, mistake somebody for somebody else along that way. Uh, We can see spousal information. uh, We can see employment information. uh, But most uh, interestingly, we can see their giving patterns and giving to any publicly recorded charity uh, and to political giving, um, which is uh, really insightful. Um, we can look and see: Does your donor base, you know, predominantly support one side or the other of the political spectrum, and how would that shape your messaging as a whole as an organization? Uh, we can see uh, what an individual donor uh, gives in gift size to, you know, their alma mater or their charity of choices. We can see what those other charities are. So imagine walking into a room knowing that Sue sits on the board of the local university that you're trying to negotiate a partnership with, um, or uh, Sue sits on the board of the local corporation that you've been trying to get support from. Imagine walking in knowing, um, you know, uh, the year that that she graduated from that university and walking in knowing on um, the other charities that she supports would show you her passions uh, for what she cares about in the world and where you might open the conversation with her uh, in that space. But, you know, one of the most interesting things is that we can actually see hobbies. Now, uh, that's really fascinating to see. And it, it comes from, again, publicly available information that's uh, out in the, in the web uh, where we can see what, you know, what people are are subscribing to, what people are reading, that sort of thing. Um, and we can even see, you know, that that Sue loves equestrian work or Sue loves quilting, you know, which I know you love, Mitzi, a lot of <laughs> So um, you know what do we what do we get out there that um, that allows us to deepen that relationship and that there's so much information available and again none of this is nefarious in any way all of it's publicly available information but what we're doing is taking the time to find it um, and, and doing it in an efficient manner that allows you as an organization um, to craft your story in, in the best way I, I know you're a storyteller and um, love to think about how stories are told and. W- we We often as organizations make the mistake of telling one story uh thinking that every member of our audience is listening in the same way uh, yeah. what what would it be like if we understood our audience a little better and could tell those stories differently you know um uh, environmental organizations are like this i I was speaking with the with the ceo of one of our our national environmental organizations and he was telling me the dichotomy of his of his uh, donor base, right? Because uh, it, it think about environmental uh, organizations—you have people who uh, run uh, very excited about um, outdoorsmanship, hunting, fishing, uh, mm-hmm. gamesmanship, all of that sort of thing—that tend to skew politically more conservative. And then you have environmental um, uh, lists who also tend to skew more uh, liberal in that space. But they both support this entity um, that is protecting these places uh, that they enjoy. And because of that, it's not necessarily one message for that group. So how do you look into that donor base and say, here's what we do to make a difference in that, in this organization? And yeah. religious organizations are very similar.
1: That, yes, I agreed. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways I like to think about it um, is that it's just doing your homework. <laughs> I mean, you're really just doing your homework um, yeah. when you do this. So, um, so one of the things we, um, we promise folks um, on the podcast is kind of that actionable um, information. How do we do this? And I know, you know, I've been in small shops and I've been in big shops and everybody has different budgets and access to different things. And we've already answered our three questions, but I think for this particular episode, we need a bonus question. Because th- this is a tool, right? So, like all the other podcasts that we've been doing in Donor First are related to um, foundational principles and actions and things that folks can do, but this they need a tool for essentially. And so Um, I know you are an expert at operating the tool that we use at GSB. And so if folks want to get in touch with you personally about potentially using this tool, or if they want a deeper dive with you on how it works and what, what that would mean for their organization, how do you want them to reach out to you?
0: Well, great question. So first of all, in the Center for Generosity, there uh, is a whole track on uh, well screening and on donor research that you can dive into, find way more information, and even find me holding office hours and doing deeper seminars uh, on this work. Uh, additionally, you can find any of the GSB consultants at gsbfundraising.com, and all of our contact information is there. Again, gsbfundraising.com and You'll find us there, reach out to us, send us a note. Um, there are some nuances to this. And I, and I hope you'll shop around because you're right, there is a tool that's required for the bulk screening. Certainly anybody can do um, the Google research, but the, the deep dive screening and the bulk screening through our proprietary system is available. And um, while you'll shop around, you'll find that we're, we're certainly the most affordable in the country for this uh, because of the nature in which we approach this work as, as part of our uh, service to the community.
1: Yeah, and I I think I'd also just like to say, uh, aside from just being affordable, we will also bring in a donor first attitude into Mm. the work that we do. And I think that's really an important piece of what we do. So, um, okay, so, Evan, this was great. Um, Excellent information. Um, I hope you all have your homework um, that you are excited about um, diving into and thinking more about um, to help you increase your um, confidence and your knowledge related to your donors so you can continue to help them um, mine those passions and and build those relationships with folks. Um, We really appreciate you being here with us today. So as Evan said, um, the Center for Generosity is available to you. Um, We would love for you to join us there at centerforgenerosity.com. For accountability focus tools and plans to grow generosity to your organization you have an impact friends the work that you do in your organization has an impact so let's make sure that the world knows about that so they can support your mission with their own passions with a monthly subscription to the center you get exclusive access to regular roundtable discussions with our consultants like evan Um, but also access to one-on-one office hours with them, which is really helpful when you need to bounce around ideas. You'll have an ongoing access to documents and videos that train and outline best practice. And I think that's what's really critical, um, best practice. So if you're a CEO, a development officer, a volunteer, or a board member, this center will be helpful for you. We are also launching special programs that take deeper dives into some of the topics we've been talking about here on the podcast. For a list of those programs and to learn more about the Center for Generosity, you can visit thecenterforgenerosity.com. And if you join in September right now, this month, you will get your first month free. So next up, um, the the next week, uh, let's see, that'll be week six of our podcast. Um, we will be back here September 21st with our friend, Paul Marsh, who is also a GSB consultant. And together we're going to be tackling donor recognition. Um, and he'll be answering the three most critical questions, but I think you'll really appreciate the way that Paul approaches things. It's, it's very much a donor first attitude. It's very authentic. Um, and I think you'll enjoy listening to him. So join us back here next week, friends on Tuesday. Thanks a lot.